Good morning, Hayden Bible Church. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're so grateful for Christ, our captain, our king, the ruler of the kings of the earth. Today, Lord, we pray that you would embolden us, that you would mobilize us, that the power of your word would infiltrate our hearts and enliven us. Today, Lord, we pray that you're pleased with this time. We pray that your Holy Spirit would be here to teach us. We invite you, Lord, now come. Open your word. Make it living and active by the power of your spirit. Teach us. Help us, Lord, serve you with your power to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to start this morning in John chapter 8. We'll be in Hebrews later. John chapter 8, you might remember the famous interaction with our, that our Lord Jesus had with the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the leaders of this cold, mechanical, religious system that had come to totally miss the heart of God. These were the leaders of the earthly system that had convoluted God's purpose in the Mosaic Covenant into an evil mess. And this interaction that Jesus had is a signature interaction in the New Testament because during the conversation he had with these, the very ones in the community that everybody else would point to as the people of God, Jesus tells them that their father isn't God. But instead he says shockingly that their father is Satan, the devil. You can imagine that that would have ruffled some feathers. Near the end of John 8, he says to the Pharisees, he says, if God were your father, you would love me. Then he says, you are of your father, the devil. A couple of verses above this statement by Jesus, he says a, a key truth to the Pharisees that we need to take notice of this morning, which is the reason why I wanted to start here. Look up at verse 23. He says to them, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. They are from below. They're earthly, of the natural fallen world. He, Jesus, is, is from above. He's heavenly. He's of God. Following the Father, speaking his words, doing his will. He's heavenly. He's of heaven. There's a similar thought in 1 Corinthians 15 where the Apostle Paul writes, he says, the first man, Adam, is from the earth, earthy. The second man, Jesus, is from heaven. As is the earthy, so also are those who are earthy. As is the heavenly, so also are those who are heavenly. Just as we have borne the image of the earthy, we will also bear the image of the heavenly. Those of the earth will follow the characteristics of the earthy. Those of heaven 
Those of heaven will follow the characteristics of the heavenly. This morning we have the privilege of beginning a new study on God's church called the City of God. As we go through our study, we'll be learning about the nature of God's church, like we've already hinted at this morning, her birthplace, her membership, her characteristics. And based on these foundational truths from Scripture, we'll be able to see more clearly and the proper understanding of the authority and the identity and the organization and purpose for God's church. As a Christian, a member of the body of Christ, a citizen of the wonderful city of God, you will be able to see your place in the larger picture of what God is doing as he intends to have his will carried out on earth just as it is in heaven. This goes beyond your personal salvation and enters a realm much bigger than you or me. We begin this morning with the foundational truth that God's church is of heaven. God's church is of heaven. God's church is the heavenly city. This this fundamental understanding of God's church is going to be vital for understanding all other elements and aspects of God's church. This foundation for our understanding of the church will make your life as a Christian make sense as you live out your Christianity on this fallen earth. And the elders here, we're excited for all of us as we explore God's design for his church. And we pray this morning that God will bear fruit from this teaching to his glory and be pleased with what each of us does with these things that we learn as doers of his word. God's church is of heaven. You know, throughout the scriptures, God has both revealed himself and his plan for humanity by using various metaphors and symbols, amazing imagery all over scripture. Some people call them types and shadows of actual things. Recently, we saw with, that with Gomer, the wife of harlotry in Hosea, we saw that. And remember from Hosea 1-2, God's word says to Hosea, go Take to yourself a wife of harlotry and have children of harlotry. He says something key. He says, for the land commits flagrant harlotry forsaking the Lord. Israel was being unfaithful to God. She prostituted herself, so to speak, with others. Israel was an unfaithful wife to God. And Gomer served as that metaphor. We saw similar things uh, with Israel uh, in, 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 in terms of our study with Jonah, didn't we? Thinking along these same lines in terms of the city of God, the imagery in our Bibles tells of this city from beginning to end. This city, the city of God, is a prophesied city. It's a present city, and it's also a future and eternal city. Our primary text, and let's turn there now, is Hebrews 12, verses 22 through 24. Hebrews 12, verse 22. Near the end of this writing to exhort the Hebrews, convincing them of the supremacy of Christ, that Christ is superior to angels, that, and in that sense he's superior to the Mosaic Covenant the covenant of blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience. And he's superior to Moses. And his rest is superior to the rest 
that Joshua brought them into in the land, and, and that his priesthood, his high priesthood, is superior to all other priests, and that his once-for-all sacrifice is superior and lasting and eternal over all other sacrifices. And because of all this, the new covenant in Christ's blood is supreme and always because Christ himself is supreme. And as he exhorts the Hebrews to stand fast in Christ alone and and to avoid adding anything else to his supremacy and sufficiency, he tells those among them who have finally rested in Christ some amazing truth. From Hebrews 12, starting in verse 22, he tells those among them who are born again. He says, you, believers, resters in Christ, washed in his blood, you have come to Mount Zion. And to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood, which speaks better than the blood of Abel. This morning, let's consider first that this city of the living God the heavenly city, Jerusalem, the city we're talking about in this series, this, this city, the city of God, is a prophesied city. Remember from Hebrews 11, the famous hall of faith, speaking of Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob and multitudes more as the chapter unfolds, multitudes more as the Old Testament unfolds. These people lived lives of conviction for something hoped for. These people lived lives that testified of a city yet to come from their perspective. A country of their own, the scripture says, a city with foundations whose architect and builder is God, not man. A city from heaven. Psalm 48 speaks of the city of God this way. Listen to verses 1 through 3. The psalmist writes, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, his holy mountain. Beautiful in elevation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion in the far north, the city of the great king. Earthly Mount Zion was the place of the temporal in Jerusalem, God's holy mountain, the place of his dwelling where he was present with his people. But that Mount Zion only served to point to the real Mount Zion, the place of the true temple, Jesus Christ. The Mount Zion that the psalmist is talking about is the, in the in same in our Hebrews passage is the city with foundations whose builder and architect is God. Earthly Jerusalem is the foreshadow or symbolic of the true city of God, and in that sense, prophesied of this heavenly city that comes down out of heaven, and you and I are citizens of that city. In fact, Paul spoke this way in Galatians 4 when he was talking about Sarah and Hagar, and really the Mosaic covenant and the new covenant in Christ's blood. In Galatians 4, he says, 
He says, these things are symbolic. And then he says, for these are the two covenants. The one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is. And is in bondage with her children. But the Jerusalem above, the city from heaven, is free, which is the mother of us all. The Reformation Study Bible notes do a great job describing what's going on here. Jerusalem was the city where God had set his name, the place of dwelling, of his dwelling in the midst of his people. The reality of God's dwelling with us was accomplished in Christ, the true temple. The true Jerusalem is in heaven where he is. And you and I who stand firm in Christ are presently citizens of that heavenly city as we live our lives out here on earth. As citizens of earthly Jerusalem, the Jews had centuries and centuries of kings setting down the authority and identity and organization and purpose for their nation. Yet both the kings, who for the most part were disobedient to God, and their subjects were sinful and corrupt and not interested in carrying out their covenant responsibilities with God. Under the covenant God made with Israel through Moses, they were to be a holy nation. They were to be a kingdom of priests. They were assigned to show the whole earth the glory of the living God. Jerusalem was to shine throughout the earth like a city on a hill, shining the light of God over all the nations. Yet they abandoned that assignment and went their own way, century after century after century, until the word of Christ, the Son, came to them. God had been speaking for centuries through the prophets, warning them to return to God with their hearts, but they refused. But now, God was speaking in his Son, The word made flesh. He himself came as the true prophet. The great high priest. The eternal righteous king. Speaking the, the hope of the new covenant in his blood. As the chief cornerstone of the city whose builder and architect is God. The city the patriarchs were straining toward with hope every day of their lives. The very city of the great king from Psalm 48. Secondly, this morning, let's see that the city of God is a present city. Back to our passage in Hebrews 12, God says to those trusting in Christ, he says to them, you have come. You have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come. Currently, presently, now, it's happened. In the person of Jesus Christ, this heavenly city has come down from heaven, and you and I, by faith, based on the merit of Christ and his blood, have gained citizenship in that heavenly city presently. And based on this passage, excuse me, I wanted to share another passage. Remember from Philippians 3, the Apostle Paul encouraging the saints of Philippi. He says, Many of whom, many walk of whom I often told you, 
And now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. The city of God is a present city. And this city currently now has citizens. And based on this passage from Philippians, our our city's citizens eagerly wait for the bodily return of our great Savior and King who is presently seated on his throne and carrying out his will through us as his hands and feet on the earth. The king of our city, the the king of our heavenly country, this king presently reigns over all creation in glory because he's the king of glory. And you and I are his subjects. Our king sets down the authority and identity and organization and purpose for his kingdom. Listen to Revelation 3, Jesus' message to the overcomer. The more than conquerors of Roman 8, by the way, born-again Christians. Even 2,000 years ago, he says, He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar, a pillar in the temple of my God. And, And he will not go out from it anymore. He won't go out from the temple And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. Praise the Lord. That's great news. And then next this morning, let's notice that not only is the city of God a prophesied city and a present city, but the city of God is a future and eternal city. The city of God is not like the cities that men built. This city is set on the foundation cornerstone, Jesus Christ. All other cities are founded on earth. The city of God has a future. The the cities of men will be destroyed. But listen to Daniel's prophecy in Daniel 2 as he talks about a kingdom that will overcome all other kings and kingdoms. He writes, In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. And that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms, but it itself will endure forever. And the destroying, overcoming weapon of our kingdom is the word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ, our great king. The angel told Mary that Jesus will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. The father in Hebrews 1.8 says of the son, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. And the righteous scepter is the scepter of his kingdom. This heavenly city, this better country, this kingdom will never be shaken. In fact, the gates of hell will never prevail against it. Fourth, this morning, let's see clearly that the city of God is the church of God. Look back at Hebrews 12, verse 22. You have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, 
the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. You have come to Mount Zion, the place of the dwelling of God, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, the church. The city of God is the church of God. The Apostle John speaks of the same thing in Revelation 21, 2 and forward. He writes his vision saying, I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. More on the temple next week. Who is the husband here? Who is the bride? Paul reminds us in Ephesians that it's Christ and his church. The city of God is the church of God. Who are the citizens of this heavenly city? Again, Revelation 21-27 says that nothing unclean will ever enter into it nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Those are the citizens. This heavenly city is a holy city. Revelation 22.15 continues and said, Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the immoral persons and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices lying. But inside, are those who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb and have right standing before God by the merit of the cross of the King himself. You and I, trusters in Jesus Christ, are the citizens of this heavenly city. God is not ashamed to be called our God. He has prepared a city for us. And we can only imagine... Just imagine the fullness of the glory of our great city that we will each realize when our king returns bodily and we finally see him as he is because we will finally be like him. And our sanctification will be complete with no more sin because the image will be fully restored as we are glorified together with Christ. The city of God is the church of God. I hope you can see that God's church is of heaven. The heavenly city prophesied, present, future, and eternal. This profound truth has massive repercussions in the operations of God's church. And for your family and my family, as we live to serve in the body from day to day, let's, let's think through some of these repercussions, by the way, By the way, that's what this series is about. Since God's church is heavenly in origin, of heaven, coming down from heaven, then the church belongs to the Lord, doesn't she? Think about the word church. In the Greek, this word church is actually the word ekklesia. It's It's where theologians get the word ecclesiology or the study of the church. 
But the word itself means called out. A called out assembly or group or a selection set. And in it, in this word ecclesia, is the idea of a summons. Maybe you remember Lazarus when when Jesus summoned him. He said, Lazarus, come forth. In John eleven forty three, he called Lazarus out. By the word of Christ's power, Lazarus was called from death to life. Out of the domain of death in a tomb and into the domain of life and light. Lazarus was summoned out of his condition and so with us. Each of us who have received this summons have trusted Christ as our great Savior, and we enjoy citizenship in this heavenly city. First Peter, Peter puts legs on this summons. In First Peter 2.9, he tells us of those who have received this summons. He says that we, the ones who have received the summons to life, he says we are a chosen race. We are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. A chosen, holy people, owned by God, set apart by God, the Jerusalem from above, God owns this heavenly city. He owns all the government buildings. He owns Main Street, every commercial property, every park, even the burbs he owns. He owns it all. In fact, his son is the cornerstone of the foundation of its temple. And as a church, we have been pulled out of the world so that, and, have, and we've been set apart for his special purpose to give praises and glory to him as we spread throughout the earth and share the gospel with people. The church belongs to the Lord. All of my life belongs to the Lord. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 6, Paul reminds each of us that we are not our own. We've been bought with a price, and that we are now to glorify God in our bodies. Colossians 1.18 reminds us that Christ is the head of the body, his church. He is the head. Together we are his hands and feet doing his will for his purposes. How does this set with you? How does your daily life in your family, in this body of believers, and in this community reflect that you, a Christian in God's church, belongs solely to the Lord? How would that truth inform your decision about the job you choose to take? In the time it takes to do that job? Or what do you do with, with your life between Sundays? Or your commitment to fellowship? Or what you read? Or how you respond to current events? Or, or what you watch? By the way, Lord willing, next week we'll learn about God's purpose with the temple and how each of us is a living stone being built into a holy temple in the Lord. That understanding compels each of us forward with purpose and license. 
Next, because God's church is of heaven and the church belongs to the Lord. Consider this morning as well that the church is governed by the Lord. The church is governed by the Lord. This past winter, I got back into duck and goose hunting. It had been years, and, and I really enjoyed peaceful time in, in God's creation. It, and, and to say peaceful also in the sense that I'm not very lethal. And so I enjoy the quiet, if you get what I'm saying. Not a lot of shooting. One thing I've noticed, though I was surprised by getting back into this, is that the game laws have a lot to say about how I'm allowed to hunt and what game can be taken, don't they? I have to study and understand hunting so that I can carry out this special privilege in the way that's been identified as acceptable to the state of Idaho, the city of God, the church, has governance ordained by the Lord, a governance that is acceptable in God's kingdom. And in our culture, and you know this because you've been living this, our culture has many earthly voices vying to give direction to God's church. Isn't that the situation? These voices are from below. His church is from above. We've already mentioned that he himself is the head. God's church is of heaven. God's church is being governed from a throne above. And in his word, the revelation of himself and his will, you and I will learn in this series much about his design for the, for the local governance of his church through the leadership structure custom designed by God himself. And as you and I learn these things, just like in our marriages, if we study God's construction plans for the leadership of his church, it tends to work, doesn't it? And at the same time, it glorifies his son in the process. Do you mind if I tell you an engineering story? I used to be really good at designing on-site septic systems for homes. Isn't that just what every... Oh, never mind, okay. One particular project was really tricky because the home, the home site had a lot of, of rock, like bedrock, near the surface of the ground. And so we needed a special treatment system, and it had to be installed in a very specific way in the perfect place. And the reason why it needed to be installed like that it's because we wanted to prevent what I call having bubbling crude, if you know what I mean. <clears throat> I needed to make a site visit one day. It was up on Potlatch Hill. So I showed up and I found this excavator digging away. He was just digging. And where he was digging wasn't even close to what I had designed on the construction plans. So I went to him and I said, Hey, you got a set of the construction plans? He said, I I didn't even know there were construction plans. (laughs) And I said, well, what are you building? And he just said that he was putting in a sewer system. and and, and, And I know for a fact that it wouldn't have worked and it would have been the epitome of a big mess. God has designed a leadership and a governance for his church. 
if you and I are careful to understand his design, we have the best chance of carrying out his will and what he's commissioned us to do. So let's ask ourselves as we go through this series, am I willing to study and understand God's design for church governance and leadership? Or will I just start excavating based on what I think is best and hope it'll work? Or, or what, worse yet, maybe I'll defiantly disregard his design and follow my own understanding and I'll end up with bubbling crude. And I'm not talking about oil, by the way. Some of you, some of you unfortunately have come with, with hearts broken because you've left churches with bubbling crude flowing everywhere. Let's pursue a right understanding of his design. God's church belongs to the Lord. God's church is of heaven, governed by the Lord, with local leadership designed by the Lord himself and clearly explained in his word. More to come on that. This leads us to another major theme in the series, that the church receives her identity and purpose from the Lord. The church receives her identity and purpose from the Lord. You might remember the nation Israel had identity and purpose issues. When God had rescued them out of Egypt, he claimed them for himself and told them in Exodus 19 that his will for them was their obedience so that they would be his own possession among all the peoples and a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. I love the Lord's heart. I keep going back to Deuteronomy 4. Moses reminds them that they were taught statutes and judgments based on the commands of the Lord so that they would keep them so that they would keep them in the land. And in Deuteronomy 4 6, Moses said, He says, So keep them, the statutes and the judgments. Keep them and do them. For that is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear all these statutes and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. We want the world to say that about our nation. And I'm talking about the nation of God. He says, For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God whenever we call on him? Or what great nation is there that has statutes and judgments as righteous as this whole law which I am setting before you today? They were to be a holy nation, a bright, shining city, shining the righteousness of God throughout the earth, a kingdom of priests, separate, delivered, rescued, called out. But they didn't want to receive their identity and purpose from the Lord. They didn't want that. They wanted another type of king. They didn't didn't like being separate or holy And eventually they said in 1 Samuel 8, there shall be a king over us that we also may be like all the nations. That our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And then in 1 Samuel 10, they rejected the Lord. That's not like with our city. They said it out loud. They wanted to be like the world with a normal king, just like everyone else. Today, even in Idaho, 
speaking of identity and purpose, there's an epidemic of identity confusion, isn't there? And most people are mystified with regard to their life purpose. I hope that you will take time in this series to truly seek out God's purpose for his church. Will you seek what he wants? Let's do that together. Shouldn't the church find her identity and purpose from the Lord? Of course, let's resolve ourselves to avoid being molded by the world and instead be metamorphosized by the spirit of the living God so that his good purposes can be fulfilled in us as a church for his glory. He's given us a mission and methodology and gifting to carry out his will his way. God's church is of heaven. Therefore, we, we receive our identity and purpose from him, from above, not from below. Not from any earthly institution. Only from our king. Finally, we'll explore in our series that the church worships only according to the will of the Lord. In the book of Leviticus, Moses recounts the deaths of Aaron's son, Nadab and Abihu. Listen in chapter 10, Moses writes, Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took their respective firepans, and after putting fire in them, placed incense on it and offered strange fire. Also, translated as unauthorized or profane fire before the Lord, which had, he had not commanded them. And fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, It is what the Lord spoke, saying, By those who come near me, I will be treated as holy. The Lord says this, By those who come near me, I will be treated as holy. And before all the people, I will be honored. So Aaron therefore kept silent. Did you know that our immutable or unchanging God still commands that we honor him in our worship? Did you know that the very worship offered from this place must be treated as holy and not common? Not like the world. Not trying to be like the world. It's separate. It's reserved for a special purpose. Worship in God's church is from above, not from below. If we take our worship cues from secular culture, we are rejecting God's command of holiness and worship and doing what is right instead in our own eyes. We don't want to do that. Worship in God's churches from above. We must not ever become conformed to the patterns of this world in our worship. By the grace of God, through the men God has chosen to lead worship at Hayden Bible Church now, and it must continue as it has been to remain attuned to God's will for his worship. 
Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, his holy mountain. Beautiful in elevation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion in the far north, the city of the great king. God in her palaces has made himself known as a stronghold. God's church is of heaven and therefore the church worships only according to the will of the Lord. By the way, remember how the Lord taught us to pray. He said, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God wants what's happening in heaven to take place on earth. Listen to a sample of heavenly worship. Revelation 4.8 Day and night they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. And in verse 11, Worthy are you, O Lord, and our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things because of your will they existed and were created. That same thing needs to happen on earth. Is there a place in your heart that you might personally, and I'm asking the same question to myself, be drifting away from the will of the Lord in worship? Are you here to bless Him? To please Him? To attribute all glory and honor and power to Him? Is your worship holy? Lord willing, we'll have an opportunity to explore worship in greater detail as we progress through our series. God's church is of heaven. Therefore, the church worships only according to the will of the Lord. What an exciting Undertaking to look closely at the heavenly city herself, the city of the great king of glory. Glorious things are spoken of you, O city of God, the psalmist says. Let's come each week as we go through this series with our Bibles open and our hearts tuned to the Lord. Let's come each week learning to expect, expecting to learn something wonderful from him. Let's ask the Spirit of God to change us and and equip us and help us be focused on Him and His design for His church. To the end that we might rejoice and be glad and give glory to Him as as a bride making herself ready. God's church is of heaven. Rejoice that you have citizenship in this heavenly city. Rejoice that your city was prophesied and is present and has a future and it will last eternally because it's the city from above. Let's be careful to understand our king's design and purpose for Hayden Bible Church in the weeks to come and let's be prepared to change our lives based on what we learn. Blessed are they who washed their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and they may enter in by the gates into the city. O church, arise, put your armor on, hear the call of Christ our captain. Your captain is the king of glory, seated on his throne. The earth is the footstool of his feet. 
From his mouth comes a sharp two-edged sword so that with it he may strike down the nations, overcoming every enemy, and it absolutely will happen. He's the ruler of the kings of the earth, and his name is called the Word of God. And you are his body on this earth. Heavenly city, arise, overcome, subdue, conquer. The gospel of the kingdom is your battle cry, and you need to proclaim it today because the city of God, and here's a final point before we pray, is the conquering city. The city of God is the conquering city. And you're a warrior washed by the blood of this great city. Let's pray. Father, you're the one who sent this king to us. You had a purpose to redeem yourself a people, to proclaim your praises, to glorify you on the earth. And you've given us a powerful gospel to overcome and subdue as we work and, and, and live on this planet. I pray every one of us in this room would be enlivened and emboldened and have license to go outside of these walls and join in that battle so that you and your name are glorified in all the earth. And Jesus.